Welcome back to another episode of the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jerose and Jack, and you can follow me on Twitter at DFBeanCounter. So today we are going to dive into one Gabriel Davis, because Gabriel Davis has been a hot topic pretty much all offseason. Uh, a lot of patrons, a lot of folks on Twitter think that he is a prime buy low candidate. He is, he is set to take off in 2021, and they are dead wrong. <laughs> He, he is not set to take off. He is set to crater in epic proportions. So let's talk about why that is. First off, I want to preface by saying Gabriel Davis is actually a really good prospect. Had he been drafted in round two, one or two, he'd have been a bulletproof prospect. He actually would have been. He was a good prospect. He's 6'2", 216 pounds. He's an alpha. He would have been a bulletproof alpha. The problem is he wasn't very good at football. And the NFL said, you know what? If you're not very good at football, we're not going to take you in round one or two. We're going to take you in round four. And that's probably where he belonged. He went up pick 4.22. It's not like he was a fringe fourth rounder. And when we compare to history, we have to remember that in the last few years, the comp picks have really pushed down how much further a fourth round pick is than in past years. In the early part of the 2000s. So when we're looking at Gabriel Davis, he was a good prospect until he fell until until he fell to round four on draft day. That was when the NFL said, actually, he's not a good prospect. Your model, your your process, your numbers, they are wrong. He is not good. So let's quickly just talk about his sophomore columns because I find this really interesting. When I look at my bulletproof prospects that go that last until day three or go undrafted, they they aren't good. This is regardless of how they performed as rookies. These are just bulletproof pre-draft grades that fell to round or to, that fell to day three. So we have Antonio Callaway, Farrell Cooper, Gabriel Davis, Dominic Hickson, Tajay Sharp, Rashard Higgins, Desmond Briscoe, Dante Ridgewood, Isaiah Hodgins, Isaiah Ford, Deontay Burnett, Greg Dortch, Willie Sneed. These are all of them. How many, how many, how many hits did you have on that list? How many of these guys did you want to buy after their sophomore year? Probably not very many. You should not have been buying these guys after their sophomore years. Just like you should not be buying Gabe Davis. But Gabe Davis played as a rookie, and when we do his sophomore comps, it comes up with some some players that are not very good at football so here are the ones that are drafted in round three that had similar performance to gabriel davis that includes his pff grade his points per game and his you know round three capital so we have julian edelman is the only hit he had five top 24 seasons one top five one top 12 julian edelman did not play wide receiver in college he was a quarterback convert so if you're saying that gabriel davis can hit because of julian edelman which you're probably not because you've never made this connection before. But if you were, you would be wrong because Julian Edelman did not have the same path at all. Julian Edelman's seventh round pick because he's a quarterback convert. Totally different. Brian Hartline, there's your one example. He had a single top 24 season. He's the only one. Chris Givens, Jameson Crowder, Mike Thomas, Malcolm Mitchell, Austin Colley, Gabriel Davis, Johnny Knox, Denarius Moore, Darnell Mooney, Demar- Demarcus Ayers. And then we got a whole bunch of undrafted free agents that, that we're not even going to go into because they are UDFAs. Like, they're clearly not good. So basically what I'm trying to tell you is that based on Gabriel Davis's path into the NFL, based on how he performed in college, it didn't matter. Based on how he performed in the NFL, it still doesn't matter. There is no proof of concept here that Austin or that uh, Gabriel Davis is going to be good in the NFL. There is nothing. We can't point to anyone other than maybe Brian Hartline. We can maybe point to Brian Hartline. He could be the guy. But anyway, beyond the normal metrics that I look at, there's some other ones that are truly horrendous 
for Gabriel Davis. If you go to playerprofiler.com and you look up his true catch rate, uh, first I looked up his catch rate and it was atrocious. It was like 56%, but I was like, yeah, you know what? Maybe he didn't have very good accuracy, accurate passes. He wasn't receiving accurate passes, which was in fact the case. Josh Allen was not accurate when passing to Gabriel Davis. He had a very low catchable target rate. But his true catch rate, once you throw those out and you only look at the ones that he could have caught, it was still only 76.1%. Number 93 in the NFL. 93! The 93rd best catch rate, true catch rate in the NFL at wide receiver. That is that is not good. And then we have his, we have his contested catch rate, right? Like He's an alpha. He's 6'2", 10 pounds-ish, 26.3% contested catch rate, number 97 in the NFL. That ain't good. His yards per row run, 1.32, number 84 in the NFL. The only reason that we are talking about Gabriel Davis is because he happened to make some of his catches in the end zone. He had seven total touchdowns. That's a 19.4% touchdown rate. That is way, way out of line for anything that we should ever expect anyone to do. That is never going to happen again. So he was really, really inefficient when it came to, you know, accumulating yardage and outrageously efficient when it comes to touchdowns. And because we are fantasy football players, we see his points per game, which includes touchdowns and yards. And we say, oh, look at his rookie season. He's pretty good. But he wasn't pretty good. He was, in fact, really not good. And then from like a projection standpoint, I'm not going to dive way into the projections here because we don't even need to because we know that Gabriel Davis isn't good. So he's not going to just force his way into a whole bunch of targets. But if we were trying to make that call, make that happen last year, you only had 10.8% target share. That's, that's fine for day three rookie. Like it's pretty good for a day three rookie. It's not as good as the guys that actually hit from the day three, from day three, but like for a generic day three rookie, that's not so bad. But here's the problem. They still have Stefan Diggs who had a 29.2% target share. They still have Cole Beasley who had a 19.9% target share. And they signed Emmanuel Sanders who last year had a 19% target share. So if you think that Gabriel Davis is pushing one of these guys out of the way, I would guess it's probably not going to happen. Maybe he can push Sanders out of the way because Sanders is, I don't know, 34 or something like that. But I wouldn't bet on it. I don't think you should bet on it. He's probably not taking Cole Beasley's slots or snaps out of the slot. So Beasley's still going to get his 20%. Stefan Diggs is one of the best wide receivers in football. So he's still going to get his, you know, his share. So there, there, there just isn't like open, open targets available for Gabe Davis to fall into. He needs to earn them and he is not going to earn them because he's not good at football. What this all comes down to though, like these guys are fine to throw a dart on until you can get a quality player out of it. If you go to Keep Trade Cut, it's a website that puts together a trade calculator that tells you what you can trade these players for. Gabriel Davis's value is roughly the equivalent of a mid-2022 second. It is roughly the equivalent of a early 2023 second. These are picks I would easily take for Gabriel Davis. If I could get any second round pick for Gabriel Davis, I'm doing it. I'm doing it in a heartbeat. I'm not even I'm not even considering whether or not I should. I'm already clicking accept. In fact, today, literally today, I made a trade for Gabriel Davis. I sent a 20 or I sent Gabriel Davis. I got in return a 2023 second round pick and $10 fab, like 10% of the fab. I like that. I don't know if you know this, but nobody is ever going to say no to your trade when you when you counter with some fab. You, you know, they send you an offer. They're like, I'll, I'll give you a second for Gabriel Davis. And you're like, nah, that's not quite enough. How about $10 fab? Nobody's saying no to that. Every single person is clicking accept because they wanted that trade in the first place and nobody values fab. Free agent acquisition budget for those that aren't familiar with fab. I'm talking about dollars to bid on free agents with, dollars to bid on waivers with. You need fab. At, the Bull at Bulletproof Fantasy Football, we are looking for every possible advantage to win championships. 
And like I said, nobody is shooting down that extra 10 fab. Last year on May 4th, 2020, this was, you know, days after the NFL draft. We told you to go and get Darnell Mooney on waivers. He was not getting drafted in your rookie draft. You could pick him up on waivers. You can now flip Darnell Mooney for a second round pick. Last year, we told you to go and get James Robinson in that same message on May 4th, 2020. This was well before Leonard Fournette got cut. This was well before Divino Zigbo got hurt. This was well before Raquel Armstead contracted COVID. We said, go and get James Robinson. I hope you sold them because we told you to sell them too. But the point is, you can get good players on waivers. Darius Slayton was another great example last year that you should have been trading for a second round pick because you got, you got not because you got him on waivers, because you could trade him for a second round pick and he probably wasn't going to pan out just like Gabriel Davis isn't. These are players that you need to get off your team. If you get that fab as a throw-in, you can go and get more of these players. You're printing second round picks to help your team. And here is an interesting thing about the Bulletproof prospect process. When we are looking at comparing the process, so Bulletproof graded players, whether they're drafting the first round of rookie drafts, I'm talking dynasty rookie drafts, not the NFL draft, dynasty rookie drafts. So if they're drafting the first round, second round, third round, fourth round, it doesn't matter. The hit rate is consistent. What the other fantasy players think about a Bulletproof prospect is irrelevant. No matter which round we are looking at, the hit rate is the same. So if you're getting a second round pick and you can get, you can draft bulletproof players in the second round because you can almost every year in Superflex Leagues. And by the way, all of this I'm talking about is in Superflex Leagues. So in Superflex Leagues, if you can get a second round pick, you are drafting bulletproof players. I remember drafting DJ Moore in the second round in some of my leagues. Christian Kirk was a second round pick. That didn't work out, but it could. History would tell us that it doesn't matter that he was a second round rookie pick. We're getting, this year, we have a couple of players in the second round of rookie drafts right now that you can draft that have the same hit rate as the guys that go in the top five. It doesn't matter when they get drafted per ADP. What matters is their grade. So what I'm trying to tell you is a second round pick is not nothing. You want second round picks. We are drafting good players in the second round year after year after year. So if you have Gabriel Davis right now, you need to go out and trade him for a second round pick and some fab. Because Gabriel Davis himself was a waiver ad in your league. If you had extra fab, you definitely got Gabriel Davis to now flip for a second and more fab to get the next Gabriel Davis and so on and so forth into perpetuity. That's all I have to say about Gabriel Davis. So we are going to talk about some some Cal Pitts. Cal Pitts has been absolutely the talk of the town, if you will, when it comes to the NFL draft and dynasty and basically all things football, pretty much all draft season. And I have been rallying against drafting Cal Pitts in the first round. And I want to talk about why that is, because I feel like I'm not the only one. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but it sure feels like I'm on an island saying do not draft Cal Pitts. And the reason that I'm saying do not draft Cal Pitts is because the value doesn't make sense. So I just want to talk about kind of the history behind rookie tight end production, rookie tight end ADP, ADP changes, so on and so forth. So the first thing I want to touch on is that Evan Ingram, since 2003, Evan Ingram has the highest rookie receiving yardage on record. 722 yards. 722 yards is not winning you any fantasy leagues. So it, unless you are projecting Kyle Pitts for the best rookie tight end season basically of all time, he's not winning you any fantasy leagues this year, which is fine. We, we shouldn't expect him to. That should not be the expectation. But I just need you to understand that he is probably not going to have a huge impact on your fantasy team this year. So yeah, Evan Ingram, 722 yards, that is the pinnacle. Okay, and then when it comes to value, what we're looking at is tight ends taken in the first round of the rookie drafts and 
the highest ADP after the rookie year. Evan Ingram came in with an ADP of 40 after his rookie year. That is the highest we have seen since 2007. Keep that number in mind. And, and, and that is the highest tight end ADP we've seen, period, for a second year player. The next highest is Jimmy Graham with an ADP of 60. Not really that, all that high. They're usually attainable after the first year. But Kyle Pitts is different. I just want to emphasize Kyle Pitts is different. And when you're comparing these tight end ADPs to wide receivers, for instance, we have five, a five-year stretch of wide receivers. We had 16 of them come in that exceeded Evan Ingram's all-time high year two ADP from the tight end position. It should be noted, Kyle Pitts has already exceeded Evan Ingram's all-time high of ADP in year two. And he did it as a rookie. Kyle Pitts' ADP currently is 36 as a rookie. The highest ADP we have ever seen since we have Dynasty League ADPs back back to 2007 is 70. That's OJ Howard in 2017. That is the highest we've ever seen. Kyle Pitts has a 36 already. A 36 already. That is that is something unheard. When I first started talking about how we cannot take Kyle Pitts early, I did not think 36 ADP was in his range of outcomes. I thought, you know, in the like 60s. I was like, yeah, I, the 60 is too early. Now we're at 36? It's craziness. Absolute craziness. So why is that? Why, like, we need to talk about why Kyle Pitts is getting this hype. And to be perfectly frank, Kyle Pitts is the best tight end prospect we've ever seen. There is nobody in my database that I would say is a better prospect than Kyle Pitts. So let's talk about why. First off, the guy is kind of a freak. He's six foot six, 245 pounds. And he ran a 445 at his or 444 at his pro day. That's real fast. That's real big and real fast. He was productive in college. He was very productive in college. He is going to be an age 21 early declared tight end. And that matters to me. That mat- that absolutely matters. Let's talk his breakout age. His breakout age is 19.5, which is very good for a tight end. It's very good for a wide receiver, but it's very, very good for a tight end. His RAS score is a 9.64. That is that is quite elite, if I'm being perfectly frank. And, and it needs to be noted that his size, according to relative athletic score, his size is only okay because he's kind of skinny for his height. He's 6'6", and he's 245 pounds. That's a little light for being 6'6". But his explosion is great. His speed is elite, and his agility is good. The guy is an all-around athlete. So when, it, when, it, when we look at all this stuff wrapped together, what we get are Kellen Winslow, who went 6th overall, Noah Fant, who went 20th overall, and Kyle Pitts, who just went 4th or uh, yeah, fourth overall. These are the best tight end prospects we've seen in my database back to 2003. This is it. Kyle Pitts is the best tight end prospect we have seen. I still don't want to draft Kyle Pitts. I still don't want to draft Kyle Pitts for a multitude of reasons. So let's talk about it. Obviously, the comps. The best the best tight ends we've ever seen have not turned out to be Travis Kelsey as of yet. Kellen Winslow was a very good tight end. He had a couple of top five seasons. He did not crush fantasy in the way that Travis Kelsey has. And to be drafted at 36 ADP, you need to crush fantasy the way that Travis Kelsey has. You cannot merely be a really good tight end. You need to be the best tight end. You need to be a historically good tight end like Travis Kelsey. So this is just isn't enough for me to get on board with he is Travis Kelsey reincarnated because these other guys have not been Travis Kelsey reincarnated. And if you think that he is going to crush because of how athletic he is, we've seen the athletes fail before or at least not produce to the level that we need Travis Kill or that we need Kyle Pitts to produce to with a 36 ADP. Vernon Davis was more athletic 
and he never had a thousand yard season in his entire career. The dude went sixth overall. It's not like he was some bum off the street that never had a chance. The guy played 15 years in the NFL. He never had a thousand yard season despite being more athletic than Kyle Pitts. Mike Jacecki is one of the freakiest freaks we've ever seen. And he needs Preston Williams, Preston forking Williams to get hurt in order to put up back end tight end one seasons. This, even when Preston Williams gets hurt, Mike Jacecki does not even come close to Travis Kelsey type production. And he's freakier than Kyle Pitts. Dallas Clark was a first round pick. He played with Peyton flipping Manning. He had one season of 1,106 yards. That's a difference making season. His next best season was 848. That is not elite production. That is not worth the 36th overall pick in the NFL or in the in a startup draft. And his RAS score was higher than Kyle Pitts. And he went in the first round he played played Manning. It can't get better than what Dallas Clark had. And if you want to just go by, well, it's, this is different because Kyle Pitts looks good on tape. I don't watch tape. So I, I can't argue that with you. But Lance Zerline watches tape and he assigns a grade to each and every prospect since 2014. OJ Howard and Hunter Henry have the same grade on tape. As Kyle Pitts, there just isn't an avenue where we can look at Kyle Pitts and say he is going to smash a la Travis Kelsey without a doubt. It is a complete projection. There is no evidence. This isn't like where we have uh, Jamar Chase, where we can say, look at all the guys that look like Jamar Chase from a production, age, athleticism standpoint. They're AJ Green and they're Julio Jones and they're Calvin Johnson. Like th there's nothing like that for Kyle Pitts. We can't look to it and say, look, it, it's happened before. And every single time it's happened, all five times, every guy's smashed. We don't have that with Kyle Pitts. We just don't. If you're drafting Kyle Pitts with that kind of draft capital, you are making a projection that we have never seen before. Kyle Pitts is a trailblazer. Uh -huh.